remember years ago, my son and I had an opportunity to play a round of golf in Charlottesville at a golf course called Birdwood. Birdwood is the golf course where the University of Virginia golf team plays and practices. And I remember going there and playing. Yeah, of course, Charlottesville is near the, in the mountainous region out there. And, um, and so the guy, we go to pay, I go to pay, and the guy said, are you walking or riding? So if you're not a golfer, uh, to rent a cart is always more money. And I said, well, how much is it to rent a cart? And it was a lot. It was a couple hundred bucks to rent a cart. And I was like, no, we'll, we'll just walk. And uh, that was a tremendous mistake. Uh, the back, and he goes, really? And I said, yeah, really? Well, we get to the back nine, and there's about five holes on the back nine that are straight up a mountaintop, okay? And by about the fifth hole of playing up the side of this mountain, I remember walking to, I don't know, it was a 14th or 15th tee box, and I, we were walking up the car path. It's straight uphill. It felt like a quarter mile. I get to the top pushing my car. My son's like, hey, you get the tee off first, Dad. I'm like, yeah, no, you go. You go ahead, you know, uh, let me catch my breath, and, um, and it was just exhausting. Today we're talking about Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where God descends on this mountain and he gives, it's a preamble um, to the Ten Commandments. Next week, Pastor Collins is going to be preaching on the Ten Commandments. And, and Mount Sinai is essential to our understanding of our need for the gospel. But it's not essential in a way that you might think. Mount Sinai is intended to exhaust us. Mount Mount Sinai is intended to to bring us to the end of ourselves and our self-righteousness and any thought that you might have that you bring anything into the presence of God that would be self-sustaining or self-earning. Mount Sinai is about understanding the character of God. Now, one of the things that we say often, and it's true, is that we need to be saved from the penalty of our sin. But did you know that Mount Sinai reminds us that the saving that you need is actually to be saved from the holy character of God? That God is holy and hes it's a terrifying holiness. And so this mountain, Mount Sinai, is essential to us understanding of our need for a Savior. So now let me give you an overview and then I'm going to jump in and pull out a couple points. So Exodus 19 is, is the preamble to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments next week are given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so God begins this chapter by reminding the children of Israel of his love for them and what he expects from them as a people called out to be different, the children of God, if you will. And so God gives Moses and the people instruction on how they are to prepare for meeting with God as he descends on this mountain. Mount Sinai is a terrifying, holy reminder of who God is. So here we go. Let's jump in. Three quick points this morning. Number one, God and his people. Mount Sinai chapter 19 begins with God and his people. So before God meets with them, before he descends on this mountain, 
he reminds them through Moses of that they're a special people, that they're a people that he selected and he saved from the Egyptians. So it's Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. You yourselves, God says to the people, have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God here is reminding how he saved the people of Israel, right? With the plagues and with the crossing of the Red Sea and all the miracles he did. He reminds us, letter A, that ultimately if we're a Christian, if we're saved from the penalty of our sin, it is God who saves us. God saves us because that is what God wants to do. People of Israel didn't save themselves. Now, there was some acts of obedience with the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, but, but the real act of salvation was God himself. God took care of all of the enemies of Israel. He vanquished them in his power. God takes care of our enemies, right? I'm, by the way, I'm, I, just so you know, I'm, I'm skipping about 20 hours of my seminary training and just running this straight, I'm running this passage straight through the New Testament, right? So please understand when we read our Old Testament, it all finds its fulfillment in Christ. And so I'm going to be taking the rest of this and running this through and applying this to the church and to you as the New Testament authors do. Everybody with me on that, all right? So I'm just skipping a whole lot of teaching going straight through the New Testament. God has saved us from our enemies. What are our enemies? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Our final enemy is what? According to 1 Corinthians 15, is death, right? And the, resurre- the bodily resurrection of Christ is essential to reminding us that our final enemy has been vanquished. It is God who saves us from beginning to end. It's not a 50-50 proposition, you're here today and you're a Christian, you're, you have a, a, a Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you and you're saved from the penalty for sin because that's what God wanted us, wanted to do. Years ago, there was a really terrible Christian t-shirt that made its way through my church at least, and some of you older people will remember this. It was a t-shirt that said, I was trying to get people to believe in Jesus, and it said, you know, God has checked his box for salvation, and Satan checked his box that you wouldn't be saved, and now you need to make the final decision. That's what this teacher, you need to check your box. As if God and Satan were equal enemies, and you were the deciding factor. Praise God, your salvation depends on you. That's terrifying, right? Oh, it's not even close. God saved the children of Israel because he wanted to do that by his grace alone. Which probably reminds you of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, right? This is not of yourself, not a result of works. I think sometimes we rip that out of context and we, I want to read you Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9. Check this out. If you're here today, you're a Christian. You want to know why you're a Christian? Because of God being rich in mercy because of the great love which which he loved us. Even when you were dead in your trespasses, this was before you chose for God, I guess, if you will, right? 
This is regeneration. This is John 3. You're born again by God's grace. Even when you were dead in your trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, in eternity future, he raised us up, right, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast about it. Listen you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that should humble you that God somewhere in eternity past set his affections on you and saved you and defeated your enemies because that's what he wanted to do. Amen? He tells the children of Israel, who by the way, through promises to Abraham, out of this nation, God is incubating this nation. He incubated it in, in Egypt and he delivers and saves them. So now he's taking them to the promised land. All that's pointing to out of this nation is going to come the Savior of the whole world. And he reminds in Genesis, I did this and I saved you and I chose you because that is what I wanted to do. Not because you had it together, but because you were the least of all people. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no place for pride in your knowing of Christ. It's humility because God loved us and saved us because that's what he wanted us to do. That's what he wanted to do, period. Amen, church? It's a very humbling thing to be a follower of God. And when God saves his people, let her be, he calls his people to obedience. We're to be changed from the inside out. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. As, as God gets ready to descend on this mountain, this, this incredible moment where he meets face to face with the children of Israel. He says, listen, if, I, if you're my people, you're different. You're to follow God. You're about to get the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments are for His glory and for your good. If you're here today and you're a Christian, it's to walk in holiness and righteousness. You don't get to be a Christian and then live any way you want to. As a Christian, you should... I'm not saying we're perfect because we're not until the day that our faith becomes sight and we're glorified bodies and glorified before the Lord. But, but listen, if you sin, you need to hate your sin. And if you're here this morning and you're still loving your sin as if you're a lost person and not a believer, then we really need to go back and ask the question, are you indeed a child of God? Have you indeed received the gospel? Because once you receive the gospel and you understand the high cost, the high payment of the blood of Christ that was spilled for your forgiveness of sin, then as a Christian, yes, we still sin. And every time we sin, we should hate it. I called you to be different, God says to the children of Israel, to walk in obedience. Which leads to number three. God says to his people, you're, you're his treasured possession. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you're, 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 you're special to God. Verse Exodus 19, verse 15, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. 
because all the earth is mine, he says. The people of God are, are set apart. The church, by the way, do you know what the word church means? Anybody know what the church word church means? You're called out. If you're a Christian, you're a part of the church, you're called out to be different. You're called out to work, walk in holiness and righteousness. You're not to live the rest of the, the way the rest of the world lives. You're not to think the way the rest of the world lives. You're not to believe the, rest, the way the rest of the world believes. You're not to walk the way the rest of the world walks. You are different. And that's getting to be more and more difficult in our culture. And praise be to God. Because the culture is going to realize that the idols that they're worshiping are not giving life and joy and hope. And there's going to be a difference. You're called to be salt and light, Matthew 5. Because you're his treasured possession. Paul using almost the same language. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for by grace you've been saved. We just read that, right? And then in verse 10 he says, For we're workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How come when you become a Christian, God doesn't just take you to heaven? Because there's work to be done. That's what Marty just said. There's things to do. You're letter D. You're you're as God's people, you're a kingdom of priests. You're a holy nation. <clears throat> in Exodus 19, in preparation to meet with God, God goes on to say, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Holy nation. A priest is someone who represents the Lord in the community. I'm not, I am a priest because I'm a Christian, right? But so are you. When we go out of these doors this week and we're in our workplaces and we're in the community and we're in our hobbies, we're in our dorm rooms, we're in our classes, you're a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're to be a difference maker. The way you speak should be different. What you do with your time, talent, and treasure should be different. People should say, there's something different about you. Because you're a kingdom of priests. You're a holy nation. We're not to be angry at our lost neighbors. Let me say that again. We're not to be angry at our lost neighbors. You shouldn't be watching the news and getting all spun up. I'm so angry. We're a kingdom of priests. We should be praying for our lost neighbors. We're to be interceding for them. That by God and his grace, our neighbors might be found. And Father, what did Jesus say when he hung on the cross as he's being crucified? He said, man, I'm so angry at these people right now. And what he said? And what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. That's what a priest does. A priest intercedes for the people. By the way, 
The Apostle Peter leans into this text in Exodus 19, says almost the exact same thing, but he's writing it to a church that's being persecuted because they're Christians. And he says this, and my pages are sticking together. He says this in 1 Peter 2. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And why are you still here? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Christians, we're, we're not to be trifling about with sin. To do so is to, to not understand the gospel, nor to understand our role and why God has left us here on the planet. God did not save you just to escape your just deserts of your sin. He saved you to be on mission. You are a kingdom of priests. You have been assigned a role. You are a holy nation. Holy means you're set apart. You're to be growing to be more and more like the character of our God. Which leads to me a second point. As God prepares his people to meet with him on Mount Sinai. Point number two, preparing to meet with God. In preparation to all that God has declared his people to be, the people are now ready to worship the Lord by being obedient, right? So God says, I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to descend on this mountain. Verse 7 of Exodus chapter 19. So Moses called, came and called all the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Man, imagine if that was our heart posture. God, whatever you need from me. Is that your heart posture this morning? God, whatever, whatever, you just sang the song. Open the heavens, God. We want to see your glory. We want to see your power. Let me ask you a question. Do you? Do you really want to see the Lord? Because in Exodus 19, we're going to get to like, it's a terrifying thing to ask for. And it better come with a hard posture of, God, we're ready to do what you need for us to do. Are you done trifling with sin? Are you done with the pornography and messing around with sexual sin? Are you done with the addictions of your heart? Are you done being lazy about spiritual things? Are you really ready to say, God, whatever I need to do, God, I'm ready to give you my time, my talent, and my what, church? Treasure too. It's all yours because we're serious. And so God says, okay, clean up and rope off. Letter A. Clean up and rope off. The Lord said to Moses, verse 10 of Exodus 19, go to the people and consecrate them. That means set them apart, make them holy. Consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments. In other words, like, you, you guys stink, okay? Like, clean up. And be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down to Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. 
Open up the heavens. We want to see you. Open up your glory and power. Are we serious about that? And it's no small thing to, to meet with God. To consecrate is the idea to set aside and to make holy. Our God does not take meeting with him as a small nor trifling matter. Letter B, outward preparation reflects humility and worship of our hearts. So when God says clean up and, you know, clean up your garments. Listen, how many of you, you got to be old like me probably or maybe older, but how many of you remember when you went to church that you wore a suit and tie? You remember those days, right? Right? Do you remember why your parents made you do that? What did they tell you? I remember what my parents did. Anybody remember? I had a little clip-on tie, you know. Comfortable, you know. Why'd they do that? We're going to give God what? Our Sunday best. That's right. Our Sunday best. Now listen, I hate suits. I hate ties. hate them, okay? If you show up at my funeral with a tie on, that means you didn't know me at all, okay? So no ties at my funeral. I hate them. But there's a principle there that's important. There's a principle there that's important, and I'm glad the church has gotten a little more relaxed, you know, and I think you should dress however, you know, as long as it's modest, but, but like there's a principle that there's a heart preparation. If you're a Christian, listen, and I know it's time change week, and I could just feel the energy in the room for all of us. We're all a little dragging. Something's off today. Maybe finally our government will come together and get rid of daylight savings time. Like, we can't come together on this. We can't come together. I have no hope, okay? If we can't come together on daylight savings time. But, like, it, you know, it's different. But, like, there should, like, Saturday night, we probably shouldn't be out as late. Pastor Colin talked about this a couple weeks ago on the preaching on the Sabbath. Like, we should be coming together ready to worship the Lord. Listen, there's something unique happening at Coastal. I'm praising the Lord for what's happening here. I know the 9.30 service is packed and the transition to 11 is tough. Plan ahead for that. Get your kids checked in. Be here for the first song. Be ready to sing. Be ready to hear from the word of the Lord. Because God knows what's going on in our hearts. 1 Samuel 16 says, The Lord said to Samuel, Don't look on the outward appearance or on his height or statue because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But what does the Lord look at? He looks at the heart, right? So what's happening on the outside in obedience really should be an overflow and a reflection of the heart as we get serious-minded about meeting with the Lord. Which leads to my final point this morning. I've got to move quickly here. Point number three. God and his terrifying holiness reveals our need for Jesus Christ as Savior. I know that's wordy, but let me say it again. God and his terrifying holiness reveals our need for Jesus Christ as Savior. Mount Sinai, letter A here, is supposed to be terrifying. It's it's a reflection of the character of God, and it's supposed to remind us that we are totally unlike our Creator. Separate. And so in Exodus 19, God descends on Mount Sinai and meets with Moses. I just want you to kind of, with your imagination, I just want you to kind of 
reflect on what Exodus 19 teaches us about the God of the Bible, the God that we worship. On the morning, verse 16, of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. <laughs> and the Lord says something. I mean, imagine I, I talk, talking about my story about climbing the, the mountain to play golf. So Moses trudges to the top of the mountain, and then the Lord says to Moses, I want you to go back down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. We better think carefully when we sing, open up the heavens, we want to see you. We, we, We better... Understand what we're asking when we as a congregation sing that song. Mount Sinai is vitally important to our salvation. Point number one there. The problem with much of Christianity today in America is that no one is preaching about Mount Sinai. No one is reminding us of this first revelation of our God in the Old Testament. Without Mount Sinai, we will never understand really our need for a Savior, our need for grace, our need to be saved from the penalty of our sin. Mount Sinai reminds us of the God that we worship. He's holy and completely unapproachable by man. It is on Mount Sinai where Moses receives the Ten Commandments and they are not suggestions or hope-sos. We should be well aware that what we deserve is to be consumed by God's holiness in His presence because Mount Sinai, number two, reminds us of God's holiness. Until you have a holy fear of God, there is no place for you to receive the grace of God. There is no gospel. The word gospel means good news. There is no gospel without the preaching of the holiness of God and the sin of man and the need for repentance. Most American presentations of the gospel start with God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And it ends with 
You need to accept Jesus into your heart. That is an incomplete gospel presentation. That is not the beginning of the gospel. Now that is true. God does love you. And I want you to receive Christ into your heart. But the way bigger deal of the gospel is not that you accept Christ, but that God accepts you. And that begins with an understanding that, man, God is terrifyingly holy. And the gospel message, according to the scriptures, is not accept Christ, but it's repent and believe. And why is that important to say it that way? Because repentance deals with sin. And repentance deals with the holy character of God. Repentance deals with the Ten Commandments. Our God is perfect. And thou shalt not lie. Anybody in this room ever told a lie? Anybody in this room ever coveted and you were not satisfied with what you had and wish you had what somebody else had? You are not getting into heaven as a liar. That's all of us. One of the things that I get to do on a regular basis is to do a funeral. I've done, see some of you in this room. I've done funerals for some of your loved ones. And one of the things that I always do at a funeral is I present the gospel clearly. And I always say, if I'm doing a funeral with someone that's a godly person, um, I say, this per- and with the, I know they love the Lord. I know they're Christians. And I'll declare, I know they're with the Lord in heaven right now. But it might not be why you think. I often say, probably a lot of you think this person's in heaven because they were a good person. And then I say, the Bible teaches the good don't get to heaven. You have to be perfect to go to heaven. And I follow that up with, if you're not sure that you're perfect, God in his grace has given you a spouse to remind you that you're not perfect. If you ever get confused about the matter. We will never understand our need for a Savior until we understand the character of God. He is holy and He's terrifyingly holy. Listen, I'm reading the news like you. I am praying that revival is coming to America. I'm seeing some things at these colleges and I'm hopeful. Ready for this? I'm seeing things at Coastal. Guys, we're packed. Every single week, we, God, is, there's a new attendance high at all our campuses. I'm thrilled. I'm humbled. But there is no revival if there is not repentance of sin. I, and I, I'm, not, I'm not judging on what's happening. I don't know. But I'm just telling us. As Christians, if we want revival, it starts with us. Not them out there. It starts with us as believers saying, God is holy. And if I'm a follower of God, I am done trifling with sin. 
There needs to be in our hearts an awesome, a sense that God is awesome. And I have no business in his presence apart from his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? So the author of Hebrews uses an incredible illustration of two mountains. Hebrews chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, flip over to Hebrews chapter 12, right? Well, this will be my final point. Hebrews 12 reminds us of the terrifying holiness of Mount Sinai. And then letter B introduces a second mountain. It's called Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is open to all who believe in Jesus Christ. I pick up in verse 21. I probably should have picked up in verse 20. Verse 20 reminds us the author is writing to a mostly Jewish audience who would know Exodus 19, and he's talking about how terrifying Mount Sinai is. So in verse 21, it says, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight, in other words, God descending on Mount Sinai, that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now, to this New Testament church, he says, but you, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the, in the, to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are, that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Mount Zion is a heavenly mountain that is secured for us by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Mount Zion is an eternal mountain. Mount Zion is secured for us, not by our own effort, but by the person and work of God's son, Jesus. And Mount Zion leaves us with one response. And it is a response of worship. Worship meaning, God, you get all of it. I am yours, and I am to be molded and bent into righteousness and holiness as you, O oh God, has declared it. 
It is Jesus Christ who bore God's holy terror and penalty for our sin for us. It is Jesus Christ who is our awesome Savior. It is Jesus Christ who is our perfect high priest. It is Jesus Christ who is our only access to God. It is Jesus Christ who is our Savior from our sin. It is Jesus Christ who is the only one perfectly capable of standing on Mount Sinai to grant us access to Mount Zion. Amen? And the author of Hebrews says, all of us are going to stand before God and we will be judged and God is going to shake everything. And there is only one kingdom that will stand. And that is a kingdom that cannot be shaken and that is the kingdom of God that is built with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Amen? Everything, according to the scripture, will be shaken. Everything you've worked for, everything you believe in, your worldview, your idols, and it will all come crumbling down on Mount Sinai unless you're standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. And what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He paid a debt he didn't owe. If you don't stand in the person and Savior of Jesus Christ, you will be a part of Mount Sinai and it will be don't touch the mountain or you will die. Moses, go down and tell the people, don't, don't, come, don't come near. Jesus has died. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and Jesus bodily rose from the grave conquering our last enemy, that is death. And what do we do with the gospel? What do we do with the gospel? Do we accept Jesus into our heart? No, we repent of our sin. God, on my own standing, Mount Sinai is terrifying, and what I deserve is your wrath, and what I deserve is your punishment, because the good don't get to heaven, the perfect get to heaven. And I'm not perfect. God, I've, I've violated all ten of the Ten Commandments. And what I deserve is your wrath, God. And so I, I'm a sinner and I turn from my, I repent. The word repent means 180 to return. I turn from my sin and I believe in your rescue plan. And what's your rescue plan? Jesus is God. Jesus died across from my sin. Jesus bodily rose from the grave. I believe that and I receive Christ into my heart to transform me from the inside out. He bore the wrath that my sin deserved. Jesus saved me from the penalty of my sin and the holy wrath of God. And I receive him into my life, and I'm asking, oh God, that he would transform me from the inside out. And therefore, no longer Mount Sinai am I going to stand before God in my own sinful works and my own self-righteousness, condemned, justly deserving your wrath, but instead, because of Christ, I stand on Mount Zion, having received the grace and the mercy gifted to me by grace through faith, I now stand perfectly clothed in the righteous works of Christ gifted to me by grace alone through faith alone. Amen, church? And I declare with Psalm 32, verse 1, 
where the psalmist writes, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. And if that's you this morning, you are blessed because you have received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? What did the author of Hebrews say? We worship God with reverence and with awe. And why? If there is a holy reverence to, I cannot believe that God saved me. And so I worship in song, and I worship in my marriage, husbands, as I love my wife, as Christ loved the church, and wives, as you submit to your husband, not because he's worthy, but as unto the Lord. And I worship as I bring up my children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And I worship as I give a good day's work to my boss. And I worship as I give a tenth of all that God's given me to the local church so that the gospel will be successful. And I worship the Lord as I steward my resources so that I recognize that I'm a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. I worship as I no longer trifle with sin. And if I have a besetting sin or an addictive sin, I go get help from the community of faith because I no longer want to live like this. I hate my sin and I want to be free from it. I worship the Lord in reverence and in awe in everything that I do. Amen? Because you're a kingdom of priests. You're a holy nation. You're called to be different. Listen, if you're here this morning you don't know Christ, I don't want you to stand on Mount Sinai on your own accord. I want you to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, given to you by grace through faith. That's your only hope. Every other kingdom, the kingdom that you're building, it will be shaken and it will not stand. There's only one kingdom that will not be shaken. And that's a kingdom of God gifted to us by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus. You can receive him today. I want to invite the worship team out. I want to invite the prayer team up. Prayer team coming up right now under the screens. If you need prayer today, don't leave. If you want more explanation about what it means to receive Christ, come talk to me. I want to give you an opportunity to receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and then we're going to go out reminding ourselves that we surrender all to our Savior who has saved us from Mount Sinai and invited us to Mount Zion. Let's bow our heads and pray. you're here this morning, you don't know Christ, you can receive him today. Father, forgive me of my sin. I've been taking you and your character lightly, God. It's been clear to me now that, man, you are holy and I am not. And I've been playing games with you. So today I call it what it is, doing things my own way. It's sin. I repent of my sin, and I believe that you sent your son, your greatest gift. Jesus is God. That Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Jesus bodily rose from the grave, and today I repent. I believe, and I receive Christ into my heart. God, for us as Christians, God, if revival is going to come to our nation, it starts with us. 
You've called us to be different. God, we get so sidetracked with things that don't matter, God, with our sin. We kind of sometimes we live with one foot in and one foot out, God. There's no place for that. We are we are a kingdom of priests. We are a holy nation. We are set apart to be different, God. God, the stuff that we're holding back as if we as if the pleasures of this world give any kind of life, God, forgive us. And today, God, we, as your people, we're like, you know what, I'm going to give it all to you. I'm done playing games. We leave here today surrendering it all. Mount Sinai reminds us of the need for Savior Jesus. May we set our hope and our affections on a kingdom that will not be shaken. And we leave here today worshiping you with reverence and with awe. Because our God is a consuming.